there are a lot of podcasts on the internet that are predictable. Talking about the same things on every show. We do things a little different here. This is the Pyro Factor. The, the Pyro Factor. From conspiracy theories to sports to news, politics, current events. If it's happening, Michael is talking about it. Real, Real raw, raw, and proudly controversial. Let's do the damn thing. This is the Pyro Factor. And now your host, Michael Grace. Hey, welcome everybody to the Pyro Factor. Today we're talking about aliens. I believe in aliens. I think they exist. And we're going to chit-chat a little bit about that. And I'm going to give you a couple of different theories and a hypothesis that I found out there that I think are pretty interesting. But first of all, let me give you a little history in my life when I was younger. I remember one summer night, my dad and I were lying in the backyard on the grass. We were scouring the night sky for stars, meteors, and planets. When I saw this object with a light that pulsed steadily from bright to dim, caught my eye, moving really slowly across the sky. And it didn't have the red blinky lights that airplanes have that I learned when I was a kid. It was going far too slow to be a shooting star. I've seen lots of shooting stars. Obviously, it was aliens. Now, my excitement was short-lived as my mother explained, son, it's a satellite. And it's just catching the sun as it tumbled along its orbit. You know, today that hope is still alive and well. It's in Hollywood films, the public imagination, and even among scientists. Scientists first began searching for alien signals shortly after the advent of radio technology around the, I think it was the turn of the 20th century. And teams of astronomers across the globe have been taking part in this formal search for extraterrestrial intelligence. It's been since the 1980s. It's called SETI. I actually used to have a program on my computer that ran. I downloaded it from SETI, and it would send radio waves to space, and you were one person who could maybe record extraterrestrials or people from other planets talking to you. Yet the universe still continues to appear devoid of life, we never can figure it out. I mean, for as long as we've reported sightings of UFOs and cryptids, we have simultaneously been formulating these theories as to where they come from. While there are more theories out there that seek to explain where these beings come from that I could possibly cover in one podcast or even shake a stick at, I did decide to spend a little time discussing one of the most popular probably two of the most popular, interdimensional hypothesis and the Fermi paradox. We're going to get into that. We're going to discuss it, and I'm going to explain to you what they both are, and you can make up your own mind on which one you believe. We're going to get started right after this quick commercial break from our sponsor. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. 
All right, everybody, welcome back. Today we're talking about a couple different hypotheses. Talking about the interdimensional hypothesis and the Fermi paradox. So what is the interdimensional hypothesis? Have you ever heard of it? Well, the interdimensional hypothesis is an idea that was advanced by UFOologists, uh, such as this guy named Jacques Vallée, that states that UFOs and related events of a paranormal nature have to involve visitations from other realities or dimensions. The idea kind of proposes that these alternate realities exist separately, yet parallel to our own. Now, to many people, the interdimensional hypothesis is viewed as an alternative to the popular extraterrestrial hypothesis. It should be noted, make sure you pay attention to this, however, that it isn't necessarily an alternative to the extraterrestrial hypothesis as the two are not mutually exclusive and both could be true simultaneously. So you could have interdimensional travel hypothesis. You could have extraterrestrial or little people visiting our planet with big giant eyes, green in color. They both could be true. Now, according to Wikipedia, which we all know we believe in Wikipedia, but they do have some good info. The interdimensional hypothesis also holds that UFOs are a modern manifestation of a phenomenon that has occurred throughout recorded human history, which in prior ages were ascribed to mythological or supernatural creatures. You do any kind of history on the Greek gods and the Romans, God, they talk about extraterrestrials and flying figures as far back as you could remember. Although the extraterrestrial hypothesis has remained the most primary explanation for UFOs by all the UFOologists, there have been many UFOologists that have abandoned it in favor of this interdimensional hypothesis. Paranormal researcher, this guy named Brad Steiger, wrote in an op-ed, We are dealing with a multidimensional paraphysical phenomenon that is largely indigenous to planet Earth. Now try to digest that one. An additional reason that so many ufologists have adopted the interdimensional hypothesis has been due to the fact that the distance between stars makes interstellar travel impractical using any kind of conventional means, and nobody's demonstrated any anti-gravity or faster-than-light travel hypothesis yet that could even explain extraterrestrial machines. With the interdimensional hypothesis, it is necessary to explain, I should say, let me requote. with the interdimensional hypothesis, it is unnecessary to explain any propulsion method because this particular hypothesis holds that UFOs are not spacecraft, but rather devices that travel between different realities. Another advantage of the interdimensional hypothesis, which is offered by Hillary Evans, is its ability to explain a UFO's ability to appear and disappear from sight and radar in an instant. This is explained by the interdimensional hypothesis as the UFO entering and then exiting our dimension or rather materializing and then dematerializing. You know, it kind of sounds like a portal or a wormhole. We could talk about wormholes and portals. 
all kinds of other theories. But we're talking about these two today. Anyways, Evans also argues that if the other dimension is slightly more advanced than our own, or is perhaps our own future, this would explain why UFOs' tendency to represent near-future technologies such as airships in the 1980s or rockets in the 1940s. It's an interesting concept. Probably read 20 articles on this. I mean, are the aliens us? <laughs> in discussing the interdimensional hypothesis, we also have to discuss the fact that, according to the theory, the UFOs that we see in the sky all over the world may in fact just be us. That is to say, a future version of us who has mastered the landscape of time and space, able to bend them to their will. Now, if this theory were true, then I would think the stories of people coming into contact with strange beings represent our distant human descendants. They're returning from their own time to study us as part of their evolutionary past. The idea has been advanced before. However, a more recent book entitled Identified Flying Objects, a Multidisciplinary Scientific Approach to the UFO Phenomenon, it takes a fresher look at this idea and offers some thought-provoking arguments, I must say. Now, this book, it's written by a guy named Michael Masters. He's a professor of biological anthropology at Montana Technical University in Butte. Presents Masters' idea that given the accelerating pace of change in fields, such as engineering, science, and technology, which is growing rapidly every day, it is very likely that humans in the distant future could develop both the machinery and knowledge necessary in order to go back in time. Masters says that the objective of his book is to inspire a new and more informed discussion about interdimensional hypothesis amongst believers and skeptics. Because I know there's skeptics out there listening just that there are believers. He says, I took a multidisciplinary approach in order to try and understand the oddities of this phenomenon. Our job as scientists is to be asking big questions and try to find answers to unknown questions. There's something going on here, and we should be having a conversation about this. We should be at the forefront of trying to find out what it is. That was Michael Masters. In the book, Masters dubs these visitors from the distant future as extra tempestrials. Try to spell that. He notes that close encounter reports typically describe these interdimensional beings as hairless, bipedal, human-esque beings with large eyes, large brains, small noses, small mouths. Masters states that these creatures are also often said to have the ability to communicate with us in our own language and technologies that, while far advanced, seem to be built upon the technological prowess of today's times. It's absolutely amazing. This book is really good. You should read it. But why not argue that aliens are actually a traveler from across the vastness of space from a distant planet? To this, this master says, I would argue it's the opposite. We know we're here. 
We know humans exist. We know that we had a long evolutionary history on this planet, and we know our technology is going to be more advanced in the future. I think the simplest explanation, and netly, is that it is just us. I'm just trying to offer what is likely the most parsimonious explanation. So I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's just us? Ah, if you want my honest opinion, I'm not really sure the interdimensional hypothesis is workable. I don't know if I agree with it. We've got too much other things going out there that make it seem like we do have extraterrestrials that visit us. But let's talk about another one. It's called the Fermi Paradox. We're going to talk about the Fermi Paradox right after this quick commercial break. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. So the Fermi Paradox, named after the Italian-American physicist Enrico Fermi, can be summed up in a simple question that anyone looking out at the night sky has probably asked themselves, where is everybody? Or to put it another way, it's a big universe, so why can't we see life anywhere but here on Earth? That's the question that occurred to Enrico Fermi, at lunch one day in 1950. After a discussion about UFO sightings, unlike most idle daydreamers, however, he put some mathematical grunt into addressing this problem. He was a gifted theoretician who made significant advances in statistical mechanics. He was the first to postulate the existence of the neutrino, the neutron, Fermi also built the world's first nuclear reactor, played a key role in the Manhattan Project. They helped develop the atomic bomb. Fermi won a Nobel Prize in 1938. He was famous for his ability to estimate pretty good answers to tough questions using very little data and back-of-the-envelope calculations, you know, the old uh, cocktail napkin. So he was a very gifted, a very talented, very smart man. So what is the Fermi Paradox? In outline, it kind of runs like this. The Milky Way contains hundreds of billions of stars, and billions of them are similar to the sun. It is likely that some of these stars will have planets that are similar to Earth. If we assume that Earth is not particularly special, then intelligent life should also exist on some fraction of these Earth-like planets just makes sense. Some of these intelligent life forms might develop advanced technology and even interstellar travel. Interstellar travel would take a long time, but as there are many sun-like stars that are billions of years old, there has been plenty of time for such travel to have occurred. Given all of this into consideration, why haven't we met or seen any trace of aliens? Where is everybody? Now, people say they have seen aliens. Apparently. 
We only go by people's memories. We don't have anything physical. We can't walk into a museum and see an alien in a glass container. According to Herbert York, who was present at the lunch, Fermi reportedly backed this argument up with some rough calculations, but he never pursued the question seriously. The task was left to the astrophysicist Michael Hart, who ran some more rigorous numbers that he published in a paper in 1975. Whoever is responsible for it, this Fermi paradox, there are any number of proposed answers to the question. The most obvious is that we are alone. Earth is unique, or close to it, in having life. Alternatively, large-scale interstellar travel may be impossible. Or perhaps intelligent life will inevitably destroy itself via nuclear weapons or runaway artificial intelligence, or global warming, or something else. Other ideas include the suggestion that we are not looking for the right kind of signs, or that aliens are so alien we cannot even recognize them as living things. Or perhaps other civilizations are deliberately keeping us in the dark until we are ready to join the galactic community. Or perhaps other life is abundant but living in subsurface oceans. The possibilities are endless, and speculation will no doubt continue forever or until we find extraterrestrials. Fermi's lunchtime conversation petered out, according to Edward Teller, who was another physicist who was eating lunch with them, with the conclusion that as far as our galaxy is concerned, we are living somewhere in the sticks, far removed from the metropolitan area of the galactic center. That's pretty deep if you think about it. Now Fermi had a lot of thoughts on this. Given that our solar system is quite young compared to the rest of the universe, roughly 4.5 billion years old compared to 13.8 billion, and that interstellar travel might be fairly easy to achieve given enough time, Earth should have been visited by aliens already. That's what they say. Years ago, we should have had aliens if we're really that old. Again, this whole paradox, Enrico Fermi thought up, made points about it, believed in it. Fermi grasped that any civilization with a modest amount of rocket technology and an immodest amount of imperial incentive could rapidly colonize the entire galaxy. Representatives of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, we talked about SETI, said within a few tens of millions of years, every star system could be brought under the wing of empire. Tens of millions of years may sound like a long project, but in fact, it's quite short compared to the age of the galaxy, which is roughly a thousand times more. Enrique Fermi died in 1954, so exploration and Explication of the idea fell to other people who wrote other articles. An explanation for the absence of extraterrestrials on Earth. We observe that no intelligent beings from outer space are now present on Earth. He noted, Hart did, however, that more research in biochemistry, planetary formation, and atmospheres was needed to better narrow down the answer of where are the aliens. 
Hart argues that intelligent aliens could have already visited Earth at some point in our planet's history, unless they started their journey less than two million years ago. He thought the apparent lack of such visits is most likely due to the lack of intelligent aliens. But he did outline four other potential explanations as well. Aliens never came here because of a physical difficulty. That makes space travel infeasible, which could be related to astronomy, biology, or engineering. Maybe aliens simply chose never to visit us. Advanced civilizations beyond Earth arose too recently for aliens to reach us. Or aliens have visited Earth in the past, but we just haven't observed them. Frank Tipler is a professor of physics at Tulane University, followed up on Hart's argument in 1980 with a paper titled Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Beings do not exist. The bulk of his paper dealt with how to get resources for interstellar travel, which he suggested could be achieved by having some kind of self-replicating artificial intelligence move from star system to star system, creating copies of itself as it traveled. Artificial intelligence in our world has become like right at the top of everything. Since evidence of such advanced machinery has never been found on Earth, Tipler argued that we are likely the only intelligence out there. He also wrote in 1980 paper that those who believe in extraterrestrial intelligence are similar to UFO enthusiasts. Because both camps believe we are going to be saved from ourselves by some miraculous interstellar intervention. Now today the topic of extraterrestrial intelligence is a popular one with multiple papers appearing every year from different research groups and the idea that advanced civilizations may exist beyond Earth has been buoyed by the ongoing exoplanet revolution. I mean, the universe is incredibly vast and old. All this data gathered by a variety of telescopes over the years show that the observable universe is about 92 billion light years wide, and it's growing faster and faster. Separate measurements indicate it's about 13.82 billion years old. So, if that's the case, alien civilizations have had plenty of time to arise and spread. But they also likely must cross a vast cosmic gulf to get to us. Why do you think we've never gone to vast distant planets? Because we can't. As advanced as we are, as much technology as we have, we can't escape this environment of Earth that we're trapped in. Now, why can't that be the same for aliens? Why can't aliens be trapped in their own world, unable to leave? Or maybe they're just way, way more advanced than we are. So there are now more than 4,500 confirmed exoplanets, with more being found every year. The sheer number of alien worlds suggests that life may be plentiful throughout the cosmos. Now, over time, with more advanced telescopes and scientists, we'll be able to probe the chemical compositions of some nearby exoplanets' atmospheres. Nearby is a relative term. However, the closest known exoplanet, Proxima b, lies about 4.2 light-years away, which is roughly 25 trillion miles. The eventual goal 
is to understand how often rocky planets form in the habitable zone of their parent stars, which is traditionally defined as the range of orbital distances in which water can exist on a world's surface. Again, habitability is all about the water. However, other factors must be considered as well, such as the host's star's activity and the planet's atmospheric composition. Is it possible, for example, icy moons in our own solar system, such as Jupiter's Europa and Saturn's Enceladus, lie far behind the habitable zone and may still harbor life in their subsurface seas? And when we're talking about life, we're talking about at a microbial level. I mean, that's what they're talking about when they talk about life, life on Mars. Or maybe most intelligent aliens tend to keep quiet as a general rule, concerned that making contact with their cosmic neighbors could bring on their own enslavement or annihilation. A number of researchers, including the late Stephen Hawking, have invoked such possibilities in arguing that humanity shouldn't actively advertise its presence. Then there are the logistical difficulties of finding intelligent aliens. The universe is enormous and incredibly old. Humanity has been around for just 200,000 years, and we've been listening for possible radio signals from E.T. just since 1960. So the odds that we overlap in time and space with a detectable alien civilization don't seem great. There probably is no single solution to the Fermi Paradox. A combination of factors, including perhaps some of the ones discussed earlier in my show, are likely responsible for the great silence that currently confronts us, and the nature of those factors may start coming into clear focus relatively soon. For example, scientists who find evidence of past or present microbial life on Mars, which I just talked about, Europa or another body in our own solar system, and that organisms, they represent a second genesis, something totally different than life on Earth. Now, such a discovery would strongly suggest that it's not hard for life to get going through the cosmos, allowing researchers to cross one possible Fermi paradox explanation off the lengthy list of questions. So my final thoughts on this are, do you believe in aliens? Do you believe that aliens exist? Do you believe people from other planets can visit us, or is that just completely unheard of? Nobody else exists except for humans on Earth. You can look at both sides of it. We talked about both of them. We talked about humans out there living on other planets or extraterrestrials that just never visit us, but they've lived there forever and ever. We've got people who have said they've seen aliens, have been abducted, we have sightings on video, hundreds and hundreds of sightings by reputable people showing unidentified flying objects, UFOs. I am a true, true believer. I think they're out there. I think they visit us. I think they're more intelligent than us. I think realistically humans are actually probably pretty stupid in the big picture of things. That's my thought on aliens. That's my thought on the Fermi paradox and the interdimensional hypothesis. It's a pretty deep subject, so if you're not into it at all, it might be kind of overwhelming. 
but you should do some research. Figure it out yourself. Don't listen to just everything I have to say. I try to do a lot of research before I start one of my shows. Most of my stuff is factual. A lot of it is just my opinion, though, which I'm entitled to do so. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Until next week, everybody, stay safe and stay healthy. Peace out.